Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. We're on number 30. Did you like my desk drum roll? I was sure entertained by it. It's episode number 30 of Middle Class Rockstar. It's been going on for, I guess, a, almost a year and a half now. And it's it's just been a blast. It's just been a blast. Uh, one of the things I talked with my guest cast today about and I've mentioned it on here so many times is how cool it is to get to meet like-minded people in the community that you wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally you've met them but wouldn't normally go grab lunch with um just because you're busy and they're busy but something like this is is a an excuse to sit down and really get to know somebody that you should have gotten to know long ago and I, that's my favorite thing about this. I just love talking to people and, and getting to know like-minded musicians or, or not like-minded musicians. That's great too. But I, I just enjoy, I just enjoy the whole thing so, so much. And I feel very lucky to, to be doing this and to have, um, I, I guess be halfway disciplined about, about putting them out. <laughs> and a big thanks to Patrick at PQ Mastering. He's mastered every one of these. Uh, he's been a great friend for a long time. He's out in Las Vegas now. Um, and not only does he put the finishing touches on this podcast, but he can handle any of your audio or restoration needs. Go to www.pqmastering.com for more information. I think that is the best I've ever segued from just being conversational into a sponsor. I just, that was great. You didn't even know. You didn't even know that I was doing that until I was halfway through. Um, before we jump in, it's been a crazy couple weeks. I went to Memphis with one of my students, Eric Jones. I've been dating his older sister for a, a couple years, and Eric's been my student since he was, I, I think, 10 years old. And he's just a monster player now, a uh, monster musician. He's he's surpassed me on on several things, and he his group Ninth Avenue Trio won the Colorado Blues Society's competition in the youth division uh, for the right to go to Memphis for the international blues competition. So I drove with Eric to Memphis with his mother, Erin. And Eric and I did a dueling pianos gig in Lawrence, Kansas on the way. Then we had a night off in Branson, Missouri, which is a crazy town if you haven't been down there. Totally closed up in the winter, but there's lots of axe throwing, and I learned how to do that poorly. And then Memphis was a great time, and while the kids were in Memphis, they're not really kids, they're 16, 17, they're young adults. Well, they were in Memphis I drove to Nashville and played a gig and caught up with some friends and uh, handed a track over that I'm producing for an artist in Denver, and the guy mixing it is in Nashville. Um, so that was cool to to get to deliver to hand deliver a track. Um, and then I flew to Washington D.C. and did a gig with Chuck Prophet, who's one of my favorite songwriters. It's a sold out show. And uh, very thankfully, let me warm the stage for him. Did well on merch. I think made some new friends. It was really cool. And then while I was out there, I went to visit my almost 93-year-old grandpa, as well as um, aunts, uncles, cousins, 
grandma. It was just great, and and I got to, I got to chat with family members like I never have before. I got to see my aunts drunk. I got to record my grandpa talking about pastimes, you know, at midnight. It was just great. It was a wonderful, rejuvenating, but also very busy trip, and I'm I'm glad to be back and back at it. But that's why there was no episode last week. Is I was I was just doing doing other things, but. Back at it this week. I'm doing a set at the Gothic Theater on, uh, well, tomorrow night, but it'll be out after after the set happened. It's uh, February 12th. I'll be doing an opening set for Brett Denon at the Gothic Theater. Uh, I've got a single coming out the day after that, the 13th, called Still My Girl, and I made a 4,000 stick figure picture lyric video that took me about 70 hours that goes with it. <laughs> uh, the band is doing our annual Valentine's Day show in Ray at the 4th and Main Listening Room. And then I'm doing another solo set with Chuck Prophet again here in Denver at Swallow Hill at the end of the month. So lots of exciting, busy stuff coming up. My guest today is Cass Clayton. I've been wanting to have her on for a long time. I say this about everybody that's on, I guess. <laughs> but uh, she's a wonderful artist songwriter, singer, guitarist. She put out um, an album last year that topped the Roots Music Report uh, R&B Top 50 Albums chart. And she was in ones that she's still on the charts, but she was number one. Um, And she was in Crazy Company. You know, number two was The Lumineers or something. And I think Nathaniel Rateliff was in the top five. So it's just... A lot of, uh, she was in great company. Also, Taylor Scott has been up there in the mix on those charts. Taylor Scott is another wonderful Denver artist, and he actually produced the record uh, that Cass made. But it's called, the record's called Play Nice. It came out, um, I think, in the middle of last year. And Cass and her band have been out playing around a bunch, and she's she's a real cool person, One of those one of those folks where, We've had several conversations, but didn't really know each other very well. And when she came over this morning, I had to, you know, we had to go at some point because I had to teach an online lesson, and uh, and and we both had things to do. But it was one of those conversations where I felt like her and I could have just sat there and shot the shit for another four hours, uh, no problem. But it was a great conversation. She's a wonderful artist. Please go check out her album, Play Nice. And I, I, hope, you, uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, here's my chat with Cass Clayton. what's going on oh gosh so much oh it's good to be here with you i know thanks for coming over in the snow too it's is it, how are the roads it's all melting just so typical of colorado you get a foot of snow and then it's gone in two days yeah 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 i'm hoping it's sloppy gone but not nothing bad nothing bad good Good. I'm having some car troubles, so I need not bad yes bad weather i've heard a lot of people having car troubles this week when it gets cold like that it happens. Yes. 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 Well, I'm I'm grateful you made it without without any trouble and we're sitting here hanging out. So, let's uh let's jump 
jump right in. When did you, where'd you grow up? When did you get into music? How did it all start? Well, I grew up in western Nebraska early on, and then uh, later, after the age of 10, we moved all over the place, and I went to a different school almost every year for a while. Um, Was that a a parent's job? Well, my parents got divorced, and then they both were moving for a while. Okay. And then even within the same city, my dad moved to Omaha and and married my amazing stepmom, who I adored, Um, but she... uh, she was moving for her job. My parents liked decorating houses, and so we moved, and I'd end up in a different school every year there as well. So Wow. Um, but yeah, Western Nebraska, and you know, my dad was probably, I guess he was like the quintessential hippie dude who loved music and was obsessed with blues, actually. So wow. he was playing blues in the house, and he was actually playing guitar in the house all the time. He was not a professional musician, but he loved music, and... We didn't really do anything musical. We didn't sit around singing or anything, but we listened to dad, and yeah, I guess the exposure was there. Good. Yeah. Good. Um, and what kind of records was he playing? Do you have some artists in particular? Yeah. I mean, he was playing things like, you know, B.B. King and um, Muddy Waters and, you know, all the old blues stuff and contemporary blues artists and, you know, later on, Stevie Ray Vaughan and all the contemporary blues artists, Bonnie Raitt. Um he played jazz a lot. Like mm. he was really obsessed with jazz later as I got older. Um, and I didn't really listen to a lot of jazz because that was by that time I was like into the 80s music with all my friends. But right. um, I never stopped listening to blues and I never stopped listening to gospel. My dad was not religious. And in fact, he was pretty firmly atheist, but he loved gospel music. Loved the music. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people like that. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> So were you were you really into the music at that time? Was that something that you thought might be a career or were you into other things? What was what was your passion as a teenager? Yeah, so my passion as a teenager was not music. I mean, I listened to all my friends' music and I always listened to blues and gospel because that was my dad's stuff, you know, and and even though he was an atheist gospel was like that was the stuff that we played in the house that and you know 70s rock and jazz and blues so my passion as a teenager I don't think I'd found it I think I was like kind of a little bit lost at that age like a lot of kids are because I was moving every year and I didn't really know what I was into um yeah you know I had braces and a perm so boys were not an option like you had a perm (laughs) Oh, yeah. I what had made you do that? Like, oh, it was a thing. Everybody had a perm. It was like this like spirally crazy thing that would, oh, it was a disaster. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's not a thing anymore. No, let's not bring it back. I, You know what? I'm everything... seeing mullets. I'm concerned. Yeah. 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 And you know what? I kind of like mullets. Uh, see? That's so. because you're younger than me and you haven't been there the first time and realized it's a <laughs> bad, bad thing. <laughs> Perfect. Um so you're getting through high school, right, at this point, moving around to different schools. What what yeah. happens after, as you're finishing up childhood? What do you do next? Well, I went to school to, I thought I was going to be a novelist and um, completely impractical. I actually didn't, I, I, I pretty quickly realized that I was a good writer, but I didn't want to sit in a room all day writing a novel. Yeah, I mean, that's a personality thing. And uh, even though I do live in solitude a lot and I like solitude, 
that just wasn't it. And I ended up writing, eventually writing grants and working for nonprofits and running nonprofits and raising money with writing. How did that come about? That came about, well, it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try to make it short. So I had been living on an ashram for a year. An ashram? Yeah, like a meditation center. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of like just cashed out for a year. I'm like, you know what? I need to go within. And you're how old? Um, I was 20. And you did this for a year at 20, just said, I'm going to go do it. Yes. Wow. Isn't that what all 20 years? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I was always odd. And I never really fit. And I was fine with that by the, this age. And so I knew that for me to be happy, I needed to go within. It was just, it was clear that I was not fulfilled. And so I moved to this ashram and learned how to meditate and did all the temple duties and all that stuff. And it was exactly what I needed. And then... Um, you know, you had to be celibate on the ashram, and I met an Italian, and that was it. I had to leave. <laughs> that was it. Like, it was clear I was not cut out for the monastic life forever. Yeah. Pretty much. Did you think you might be at the time? Yeah, I did. I really did think that I could live there forever. That would be the and thing. And it's not easy. It's not an easy life. It's extremely, it's contemplative. You're in your own, you know, your stuff is in your face. If you've got things to work out, you will be working them out. Well, so could could you take me through a, a typical day? Yeah. I mean, a typical day was I would wake up at 4 a.m. and I would take a quick shower and then I would go to the temple and um, there was a big, what's called a morti, a divine mother statue. And it, this was a divine mother temple. And, um, and I would go through the entire ritual of getting the temple ready for all of the people to come and sing what are called bhajans. They're holy songs that are thousands of years old. And they are, you know, basically they're designed to raise people's vibration into a vibration of love. Yeah. And I found that it worked, you know, it was just that simple. That's, I think the connection, the reason I ended up there was the music was incredibly healing. Wow. And by the time I left there a year later, I felt like I understood myself in a, in a new way. And when I left, I wanted to do something that made a difference. I didn't just want to have a job, but I didn't have the ability to do that. So I took a retail job for a while and eventually worked my way into nonprofit, starting as a receptionist. Wow. And then, then I just started writing. And, and back to the, t give me the name of it one more time. The, yeah, an ashram. The, yeah. An ash, ashram. I'm yeah. going to write that down. So yeah, I'll look up more on that <laughs> later and I'm probably going to spell it wrong. But um, so in the ashram, did you have a... a did you go with a, a, a specific religious feeling in mind or a spiritual feeling where you, did you yeah. feel like you were following something? Maybe that sounds really No, it's a great question weird, because, but. you know, they're just like any religion. If you, if you look at Christianity, there are so many sects and those sects may in general believe in Jesus, but they practice it very differently. And right. in India, there are thousands of sects. And because this is in the United States, this was an ashram that welcomed all religions. So there were Catholics and Christians and Buddhists, and it was a place to come together, like where the lion and the lamb could kind of drink from the same water and go deeper. So an ashram is more of a maybe a, a spiritual connection for people, since yeah. they're all coming from different... In this particular one, they're all coming from different traditions, but the music is definitely, it's in Sanskrit and Hindi. It feels like you're in India when you're there. It really does. Do you, do you still listen to any of that music? And has that music influenced you now as an artist? You know, it's so funny that you say that because I do listen to it a lot. And I sing it a lot just to myself because the mantras are powerful. So, 
you know, Shri Guru Charanasaro Jaraja Nijamanamukuru Sadara Varunamara. So the, all those mantras, yeah. those songs are all composed of mantras that have been around for thousands of years. And in that belief system, the more people who contribute to a field, the bigger that field of energy gets, just like the field of fear that we contribute to. Right. But, you know, we don't want to participate in that. But every time we live in fear, we participate in that field. These are fields of higher consciousness. Wow. That's really interesting. Sorry to keep asking questions about it. It's just an, you don't meet a whole lot of people that uh, yeah. did that for a year when they were 20. <laughs> no, it really it informed the rest of my life. And I have yeah. thought about infusing some of these mantras into songs. I just haven't figured out how to do like soul music and do that. <laughs> like, Put them there's together. a way I'm. I'm actually working it out. I have an idea, but it just hasn't, it hasn't gelled yet. But yeah. It's, it's, it's rumin I'm ruminating on I'm it. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. It, uh, that influence will, you know, has carried with you. And at some point it will make it into that music. And maybe it has already in some ways. In some ways know? it has because there's love in the music. I just think, um, I like this. I like writing about dark things too. And I think, you know, you have to have room for the dark and the light and everything. They're yeah. just got to have the whole spectrum of humanity. Yeah. Well, you have to have a, a theme song for everybody, right? <laughs> for everybody's right. mood. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely. So, so you left the ashram. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to Denver. And then you moved to Denver. Yeah. The ashram was in Nebraska. Um, probably the only ashram in Nebraska at that time, but I don't know that for sure. And then I moved yeah. here and just... I thought it would be really hard to move from a monastic situation into the city, but it just felt like everything from then on unfolded in an easier way. Um, yeah. Because anytime I got stuck, I would be able to go within and I had something deeper to draw from. So I wasn't living in a state of anxiety as much. I mean, I'm a high anxiety person by nature, but yeah, yeah. I can like put in perspective. Put now. in perspective. <laughs> yeah. And, and what, what was your relationship like with your parents at this time? Oh, they thought I was in a cult and they were terrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I've really never listened to people and, and it's been like the bane of my existence and the gift of it too. Like I, I knew, I just knew when I saw, met the people there and I the first time I went onto the ashram, I knew that I had to go there for a while. Um, they were afraid because, you know, they, and my mom visited it with me. And once she visited, she was like, okay, so the people seem really normal, you know, like they're just doing their thing and yeah. getting a lot of work done. And she felt better. My dad never visited it. Um, they visit when you were there or did she visit when you were there? She visited right before I moved there because okay. she wanted to see what it was about. Yeah. And... You know, my, my mom is really open-minded. She's, she's a, not a joiner. Um, and so I think me going someplace that looked organized was surprising to her probably. But um, because nobody in my family is really a joiner. Yeah. But the thing is, like, I went there and I got what I needed out of it. And I don't feel like I ever joined anything. And, and obviously I left because I broke a rule. Multiple rules. Like every time I left the ashram, which was vegetarian, I would go straight to McDonald's and get a double cheeseburger. <laughs> like, I never did really conform, but I did take that, yeah. the, the love out of it and, you know, learn what I needed to learn about that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So you're in Denver. Things are good. Yeah. And you're writing grants. I was writing grants. Yeah. Did was, you love it? 
I did for a long time. I worked for Big Brothers Big Sisters, and I loved that organization. The woman who mentored me, Kitty Balsley, I just, I don't know what happened to her, but she was a dear, dear friend, and she taught me a lot. Um, and then I went on to Colorado Ballet and ended up being the VP of Marketing and Development there, and I loved the arts. I loved being around the dancers every day, and I was passionate about it. I just got tired after a while because it's like at the ballet we had over 190 parties in yeah. one year like taking people backstage and I'm kind of an introvert in terms of you know I, I need my time alone and so I think eventually I just knew I needed to do something else yeah and and what what point was this how old were you and what was that so something by that else? time and this went on for a while by that time I was 34 Okay. Had yeah. you had you gotten married or anything or I'd gotten married and divorced. Oh well um, we skipped over that. <laughs> yeah, well, this is the good stuff. He was a great guy. Um we made each other happy and miserable. Yeah. Met him um, in Denver. I met him in Denver. Yep. I met him at a coffee shop actually. And it was kind of instantaneous the way things generally are for me. Like I just know. Yeah. And, you know, that's how that was and but we had, you know, really different cultures, and he was, um, you know, ended up being a situation where my f need need to be free in terms of um, just uh, making my own decisions was a real problem because he came from, like, his mother was from the Middle East, and so it was just not the way, it didn't make him feel safe. Like, I think, I never felt validated in just being myself. Yeah. Um, in fact, his nickname for me was the Cassandra Project, which I think is all we need to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, but but we loved each other and I still love him and I, you know, I really always want him to be happy and do well. I think sometimes you love somebody you can't live with forever. I certainly couldn't have done music with him because yeah. this like this lifestyle would drive him out of his mind. Yeah. So, we went on our separate ways and eventually I met my current husband and do you do you two still talk we no we don't but um we did have communication about a year ago um we found each other on social media and it was just so great to hear that he was doing well um because i've always wondered if he was doing well and he's he's happy he's got a you know a great life and i think i needed to know that and yeah. I think he needed to know I was doing well. And we were going to go to lunch. And then he said, which I think was really, really wise. He said, you know, we've got so much history. Like, let's let it sit where it is. I feel like if we get together, it's going to really, like, I just want to think of you the way I think of you. You know, like, I'm completely different. My life is so different. And I really understood that. Like, you can't walk through that same, you know the same water I've got it in a lyric you can't walk through the same river twice in the summer it's wa water and the winter it's ice it's like this is a done deal and we what don't song is it's that? not like we're gonna hang out um used to be used to be uh-huh okay that's the trippiest song on the last album <laughs> great it's from the listen to used to be everybody <laughs> for the lyric <laughs> reference well that, uh, that's a I think a really that was a really big thing to say too um I, I mean, I, I just, yeah, I can't imagine uh, getting together with somebody that I'd been married to and wasn't yeah. anymore years, years later. And yeah. You still I mean, lived in Denver? He does. He lives yeah. in Denver and, um, yeah, he's, he's doing great. He's, he's a brilliant person. So 
I always knew he would do well no matter what he does. It's always just you always want somebody to be happy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's the, that's the thing about when you love somebody, I don't really think you ever stop loving them. And if the more angry you are, the more you haven't dealt with how, how big that loss was for you. Yeah. So I did deal with that loss. It was a really a couple years of devastation and like pulling myself together. And then, um, yeah, just realizing, okay, I'm going to be okay. Yeah, good, good. And, and putting that on the timeline, you kept doing the grants until you were yeah. in your early 30s. Yeah. Did you meet your current husband in that time or was that afterwards? Yeah, so <clears throat> I met him when I was at Colorado Ballet. And I'd, I'd actually dated somebody at the ballet for a few years. We kind of ran the company together. Um, and we broke up for really, really good reasons. Um, we were just in different phases of life, you know. And, yeah, And uh, so we broke up. And it was, um, you know, I'm at 35. By the time you're 35, you're getting good at this, right? Like, <laughs> I know how dating works. Yeah. I mean, you know you're going to survive it. It's not that anybody wants to lose somebody they love, but I knew that, um, you know, we were going to be going in different directions on some level. And so he moved to a, a big company that he was creating that was a luxury residence club. And very shortly after that, I met Vane, my husband. But I, I said, you know, like, I'm not really, I'm not interested in dating because I was sure that I was going to get back together with him. It was just like, that's one of the phases that I go through. And one of the phases, phase one is denial. And that was the denial phase. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I don't really want to date anybody else because I'm pretty sure we're going to get back together. Right. So, um, so I, I went out with him as a friend and, and, uh, there was something there, but I didn't really want to pay attention to it. And then Charlie, this, this previous boyfriend said, you've got to come over to this company and work for me. It's going to be a big deal. And so I went over to this company called Quintess in Boulder, not nonprofit. It was a luxury residence club, and I started working there. And then Charlie got sick and got um, pancreatic cancer. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was like, it was kind of crazy. And so I think that's when I knew what Vane was made of, my husband, because he was like, go be with him, take care of him. So you know, I would spend a ton of time doing all these natural treatments with them and going all over the place and trying to figure out how to get them to health. And I was like, yeah, it takes a pretty big man to watch you hang out with your ex-boyfriend and love him that much, you know, Yeah. and get him through something that hard. And it, ultimately, he didn't survive it, but it was, right. it felt like such a gift to be able to be there with him through a lot of it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, and sad. It was sad. Yeah. It was sad. It was, I think, in a, for a, in a lot of ways, I didn't, that one I didn't heal from quickly because I ended up marrying Vane. And so the joy of that masked the grief. So I didn't deal with the grief of that for like five years. Into were, our were you dating Vane while you were still taking care of Charlie or yeah. were you, okay. And we got married. Yeah. We got married while I was taking care of, I wasn't really taking care of Charlie, but I was with Charlie all the time trying to figure this out. And like, if he had an appointment with a psychic healer, I went to the appointment with him. Yeah. And yeah, it was always, you were just there for him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was amazing that he let me do that. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That is, that shows a lot. Big gift. Yeah. (laughs) Says everything that anybody needs to know about him as a human being. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and, and, but she still had to deal with, deal with that situation 
Yeah. Later. later, the you know, I think that's one of the gifts of writing songs is that anything that's been sitting there for a while, it will just be like, if you start fishing around in your subconscious a little bit to get a good song, you'll be like, oh, no, I don't want to write that one. I want to write this really pretty one. And it's like, yeah. no, this is what you're going to write next. And it sucks. Yeah. It's going to be so <laughs> painful and you're going to cry, but you have to do it. Yeah. So one of the one of the phases. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm grateful for it. I mean, like to me, the writing music, I, I could not have imagined that this would be where things ended up. But and it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for Taylor Scott. Yeah. You know, co-writing with Taylor Scott yeah. because his brilliance makes all things possible. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't know it yet, but he's or he, he might know it, but he's going to be on the podcast next month. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. We we have a a long drive, the two of us. I'm not sh- <laughs> I'm actually not sure where we're going. Um, it's a we're doing a duo together somewhere. I don't know where it is. Yeah. And, and I guess we're not going to say either. But I actually <laughs> don't know. It's kind of a secret, but I actually don't know where it is. But we're okay. going to have a lot of time in the car together and probably a, a night in a hotel room or something. So perfect. he doesn't know yet, but he's going to be on it. Oh, I will tune in. I'll be listening yes, to it. Yes, please do. Of course. <laughs> please do. Yeah. So, um, so you're married uh, to Vane. Yeah. You're not doing the grants anymore. I'm keeping you chronological. Is that yeah, okay? Yeah, no, it's cool. <laughs> like, I, I don't think in chronological terms very often. And I, I'm often... My husband will often like correct my timeline. He'll be like, no, that would have had to happen in like 1994 because of this and this. And I'm like, it's just a story. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I actually appreciate people who keep the chronology because there is a history there. I just live all over the map in terms of time. But this is the way it rolled out. <laughs> <laughs> um, was there another career before the music thing started? No. So when my daughter was two... Um, she's, she's just turned 14, but when she was two, I, um, I quit working at Quintess because it was really, really busy. It was too demanding and I just felt like I needed to be home with her. So for a while I was staying at home with my daughter and just enjoying being a mom. And, um, but there's something about me that like, as soon as I knew she was okay and she was in kindergarten, I couldn't relax anymore. I'm like, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? Yeah. I'm like, well, I could just hang out here and like enjoy like I was gardening and cooking and but like kind of doing everything on this crazy level of perfection because I was bored so like I would map out my garden and have it on a spreadsheet and all this stuff and replant oh, wow. like because I needed something a, a direction for the creativity but I didn't know what it was yet yeah so, so you were just doing random everything. shit random yeah. shit <laughs> Well, spreadsheet, if you're doing spreadsheets for your gardening, you may need to see somebody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. No doubt about it. There is no doubt that therapy was in my future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure you had a pretty garden. It was a beautiful garden that yeah. is no longer pretty. It's The weeds have taken it over, but the now the flowers are in other areas of my life. Yeah. So. In, in, the, in musical areas of your life. Yeah. Right? And, and how, old's your, how old's your child now? She just turned 14. Wow. Can't believe it. Just one. She's a big girl. Yeah, just one. One and done. Yeah. One I don't know done. how people do more than one. It's yeah. Just like completely unfathomable to me. I don't she's, know how people do one. She asked for, yeah, it's crazy. Like she asked for siblings like they're puppies or something. But I'm like, no, I can't even handle a dog right now. We can have a cat. We can't have a sibling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like We're going to have to negotiate. 
I think, yeah. I mean, I in some ways, I wish I would have had two for her, but yeah, I knew that I had what I could handle. So she's starting high school this year. Yes. Oh my gosh. She goes to high school. It's wow. Crazy. Oh my gosh. How does that make you feel to have your own uh, offspring almost out of the nest? Oh man, it feels really. I mean. It, it, it's, you know, everybody says this and it's cliche, but it feels like it went fast. It's going really, really fast. Yeah. Watching her grow up. Um, I mean, my, my mother-in-law one time said something that's perfect. She said it's long days and short years. Yeah. And that's very, very true about being a mom, you know, like you worry all the time. I'm always, I'm not a worrier by nature, but I really do. I've spent an inordinate amount of time worrying about making her life perfect, which you can't, you know, like I think about the things that gained me any strength or any grace in life. And it always came out of the weeds. Yeah. You never get the good stuff unless you go through the weird stuff too. Yeah. So like, why would I try to save her from that? I don't know. It's just what you do, but she's a really neat kid. She's happy. She's creative. She's got nice friends. Mm. So I feel grateful that we live in a place where she's safe and, thriving and she's gonna have she's she marches to her own drum in a big way so much like my family history and now you're quoting taylor scott lyrics right (laughs) yes exactly i probably do that unconsciously unconsciously all the time i just listened to his record again i had put it on kind of the back shelf for a while um and i found it and stuck it in my cd player in my car and i was like god this is just such a good album yeah such a good album. It's great. It's incredible. It's got a lot of good stuff coming out of Denver right now. Yes, I love it's it. a thriving music scene. Yeah, it sure is. But so, so your daughter's the type that you tell her not to touch the stove, and she still has to touch it to make sure it's hot. Yeah. Well, actually, no. She's the opposite. She'll never touch. She'll, she'll never, never take any it. risk. Okay. She's super, super conservative. Um, like I'm not really a helicopter parent. She's a helicopter child. She okay. will tell me, mom, are you going five miles over the speed limit? She's that kid. Oh. But, so we, I'm always trying to like, come on, take a risk. Cause you know, like seriously. you would like her to get a speeding ticket. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. She's the kid who might need one. I hope she doesn't hear this podcast. No, exactly. That's right. Don't listen. <laughs> but yeah, a little healthy risk. She's very careful, methodical, overthinks things. She's very, yeah. she's kind of intense in a good way. She's very... She's really an interesting person. Oh, that's great. Well, the Denver scene is certainly is certainly thriving, and you're a big part of it. You're doing a lot of stuff right now. And I know I, I've always thought, maybe this was in my head, but when I went to college, I always, uh, at CU Denver, I always saw, I thought it, I thought of it sort of as high school cliques yes. of bands. Yes. You're like, oh, those are the cool kids, mm-hmm. like those five bands, and then... Really creative, but sort of on the outs. Great songwriters over here. Um, yep. These people, we don't know what they're doing, <laughs> but but they're making music and they're happy, so I'm happy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I've always, I, I, I could just be uh, the immature 18-year-old in me that went to college and immediately, <laughs> pr- you know, profiled everything like we all did in high school. Right, we did. Um, but you, you're someone who I feel like has created her own. Um, you sort of have, you have a crew, you know, a, your group and uh, Taylor 
and Jeff, you have a crew and everybody knows who your crew is. And I mean, you're all you're all doing great things in the scene oh, and you're all you. uh, helping out other artists and stuff. So it's been it's been a cool thing to see. How did how did your if I can call it that, how did your click get started? Oh, wow. Um, well, I was never, ever in a school long enough to have any. I was never, ever in a clique, and I really wish I would have been. <laughs> but I was always kind of a little bit on the outside, but always had a couple good friends, small groups. And now, you know, I think it's always so surprising to me that, A, that I get to do what I love so much, that I didn't know I loved it. Mm -hmm. I guess the clue would have been that I was singing every single day of my life before I ever did this. So. Yeah. I should have put two and two together. Like they always say, you'll, you'll do what you love no matter what. Yeah. And I wasn't necessarily, that's also how I knew I wasn't a novelist. I just couldn't force myself to sit down and write for like five hours at a time. Yeah. But the singing I loved and I realized when this started happening um, for the first time that when you do something that is, really your passion that you absolutely love that you would do for free um that you start um magnetizing friends you know like you just the people who are also passionate gather in the same places as you and yeah. you're interested in them like I always had to fake my interest in business um you know networking is a big part of business but I always felt uncomfortable doing it because I wasn't authentically a business person in that business. Right. So, you know, I would have to go to these industry functions and schmooze people and I never felt natural about it. And now I know why it wasn't really my calling. And, um, it's okay that I did it cause you know, you gain a skill and, and it's fine. You know, you got to make a living. But when I started doing this, you know, you called it this crew, it was just this magnetic attraction to each other. Yeah. That just, we couldn't stay apart. I meet every musician I meet. I want to know. Yeah. All of them. I want to know everything about them. Like, I think that's what is so amazing about what you're doing. You actually made an opportunity so that you, we can know each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I finally felt like, Oh, I get these people. Like I understand this Yeah. and people get me and I've always been kind of an outlier and that was okay, but it's nice to be understood a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so you're doing the music thing now yeah. and you're doing a lot of it and you've, and you're having some success with it. Uh, talk about that. Talk about, um, the most recent record and the process and yeah. what's come of it. Well, oh man, I mean, I feel, you know, a lot of times I feel grateful and kind of overwhelmed with like giddiness and joy over the whole thing that has happened because I was just wanted to write some songs and see if I could. Um, and in yeah. fact, Taylor was the first one who said, Hey, you want to write a couple songs? And when I initially said, yes, this is two albums ago. Um, I really meant no, because I didn't know how to do it yet. And I didn't, I mean, that's a thing that I had to explore for a while. When so, what made, what made him ask you to do a couple songs together? How did you guys, so he had said, that's a great question. He had sat in with our old band, Hogback Blues Band, where we were doing cover tunes and, yeah. you know, just 
we were you know, bar band doing cover tunes. It was a yeah. blast. But I, I started realizing like about a year and a half, two years in that it was going to not be my thing forever. Like I really wanted to learn how to write some, some songs that said what I needed to say. Because, you know, I'm singing songs that Coco Taylor sang, you know, yeah. or somebody who wrote something in the 1930s and 40s. And it just, I needed to find my way. And um, Taylor was sitting in with us because Dan dislocated his thumb in a motorcycle accident. So Taylor was just generous enough to come and sit in with us. And he'd done it before just for fun. When his band was in town, they would just come out to a bar and play a few songs with us. Cool. So now he was with us a few times regularly. And every time he was with us, you know, he's, he's a very tasteful person. Like he knows how to make himself, you know, on stage, you have to be a little bit of a magician. You have to know when to pull your energy back and be invisible Yep. And when to step forward. And he, I was amazed at how good he was at that. Yeah, like it's absolutely. It's a very, very noticeable thing. If you're standing in front of somebody on a small stage and they're behind you and you can feel that energy as they build it and then feel them pull back and become invisible, energetically yeah. invisible. That's yeah. a fascinating thing. Yeah. He was good at that and some people never learn it. And um, so I, you know, it was clear that he's, special you know like he's got it going on everybody who listens to him is like damn that's amazing he asked randomly I don't remember why he asked I think we just knew we had a musical affinity and we it was just the same thing I was just talking about yeah when you're a musician you feel something and you follow it we become accustomed to following our intuition you're a songwriter and you just get used to following your intuition and I think he might have had an inkling that maybe we should try it out. I'm going to get to the bottom of this next month when I talk to him. Okay, okay. Yeah, we wrote two songs. We were just going to write two songs, and then boom, we wrote two songs, and it felt really good. It like We took him in the studio, and we're like, oh. And he, I think I remember him saying something like, um, you know, I've recorded s- some music in my past, and it doesn't always go like that. We should keep going. Yeah. We want to because it, it's going well. Yeah. And it, it was clear that it was going well. It was like, oh, because I had these lyrics that I wanted to get out. And then he had this amazing ability to just translate the entire feeling of the song into and compose and arrange. And wow, it just happened just that easily. And, you know, luckily, the first two songs were easy. Since then, I've hit inner roadblocks where I get stuck really badly. Had I hit that right at the beginning, it would have been really discouraging, but I was lucky. Yeah. And so it worked out, and it's it's been a, a continued collaboration. Yeah. And I think that's so true. Um, wh- you can write a song and think it's great and work with somebody and think it's great. There's really no hiding the finished product in the studio. Once it gets recorded, it, oh, that's, that's really it. shitty or oh my god that's incredible that's it you don't know like if you're writing the way we write we don't know what's going to happen it's, taylor knows more than i do but i don't really know what that song is going to be like until it's done yeah. because um he's writing all the bass parts in his head and you know he's got that drum groove in his head more and more like when we're talking through a song now now i kind of know a lot more than i used to but initially you know we would joke it's like going to the studio with taylor is like to make a song is like going to the hospital to have a baby and not knowing who the father is going to be like it's like you have no (laughs) it's 
a very uncomfortable feeling if you're a control freak, which I'm a little bit of a control freak. Yeah. This is an area where I have to completely let go. You have to let go because he he knows who the father is. He knows who the d- baby daddy is. He knows. There's a lot of baby daddies in that room. It's like you, everybody who comes in and plays is going to change the song a little bit, but he knows what each of those musicians feels like and yeah. what they're going to sound like and what they're capable of. So he knows a lot more than I do. No, so. that's that's great. Um, the record's done very well. Where did you record it? Oh, Far and Away Studio. Yes, Jeff Gray is another person who's part of that magical team because Jeff, Jeff owns Far and Away Studios in Boulder, and we met, he came to a show and said that he wanted me to come check out the studio. And, you know, by this time I was thinking, yeah, I probably am going to be writing some songs. And so I went and looked at it, but I couldn't afford it. And, uh, you know, we just slowly started collaborating and he, he was excited about it, you know, and it became this great friendship. I, there's, there aren't that many days that go by without me talking to Jeff. Like I talk to him almost every day. So you guys are just great friends. We're great friends. Yeah. Yeah, We really are. He's, and he's so passionate about the music. He's, he is, that room is an instrument itself. So, I mean, and we're recording on tape and. You know Jeff. He's just oh, yeah. he's such a great person and has a visual crazy memory and knows every piece of gear that's ever been created, created. ever and has every piece of and gear that's has, ever been created. Exactly. Oh my gosh. He's told me so many guitars I need to look at and I'm like, I'm not a gear person. I'm not really a guitar person, although I seem to end up with a lot of them. But you know, I'm just really went one guitar to sound the way I want it to sound. Right. <laughs> like but just you know what? Simple. I think we all do. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yes. I don't that's how you end up with 20 of them. That is exactly what happens. It's a, <laughs> my husband was just so excited that I wasn't into jewelry when we got married. He's like, God, I can't believe that you don't like jewelry. Like most women want jewelry all the time. And I'm like, it's just not my thing. I mean, I like jewelry, but like gaudy stuff that's like, you know, big silver jewelry, not fancy jewelry. And yeah. so he thought like he had the best wife and, then I found this and started buying guitars and amps. Mm-hmm. And now I think he knows he would have been better off with the jewelry girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You can't you can't sing a tune very easily with a with a piece of jewelry. That's right. You can't. You can't. What's your baby? What's your what's your guitar? So it's if you had S- to get rid of all but one. Yeah. If I had to get rid of all but one, it would be an SG. Just because, you know, playing slide guitar, getting up the neck with that yeah. double cutaway, it just works. It's got the right tone. Um, you know, the amp that we got from Ampworks, Denver Ampworks, Steve Carey custom made the amp. And so between those two things, that's the that's the sound that's turned out to be that's the one the I sound. love. And you when you first started making music and playing and then and then playing with Hogback, were you playing guitar at that point or did no, that no, come I later? No, I never played guitar. And I I mean, of all the things that I need to learn, I mean, guitar is the biggest challenge because of time now that two albums are out and we're always promoting and there's there's all this stuff that's not the fun stuff now. Like yeah. it's all the business side of the music that had I known I would spend 90% of my time doing the business side, I probably would have just been like, "No, thank you." But that's part of it, you know. Part of it. You have to do it. So Otherwise, nobody will hear the music that you worked so hard and put your heart into. Um, but the 
I think the truth is that I started playing guitar because I kept hearing slide guitar songs that I wanted to cover. Um, it's the part that I don't have time to practice enough. I could be such a better guitar player. Yeah. But there's always something else. It's something else to do. You gotta yeah. send out some emails, work on your voice, write a song. Yes. Whatever write a song. it is. We're writing songs again. Taylor and I just wrote another song last week. So. Oh, great. Great. So, yeah, I need to practice more. I'm, I'll just be the first to admit it. It gets put on the back burner. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's if it's not the first priority, that's how it goes, right? I, I, True. I feel like True. that's, I, I want to bring somebody on the podcast that's like an expert on musician time management. I That sounds weird. <gasps> oh, and I don't no, know if I they love exist. that idea. But I, I always have that trouble because I say, you know what? Every morning I'm going to get up and write for 30 minutes yeah. and it'll go on for a few weeks. Yep. And then something will happen, like we have a single to promote, and then I'm up doing my computer time in the morning. Yes. Right. So then I say, ah, you know, I really need to play yes. keys for 30 minutes every morning. So now my keyboard's sitting by my desk, so oh, I get up and do it. But That's but brilliant. I oh. need, but I, I can't keep any routines, and maybe that's oh. the trick that we don't. But I want to talk to somebody who can help all of us do this. I'll pay for that class. Yeah. I really <laughs> Me will. Me too. Me too. Because a lot of times I do the things that are, they seem urgent, but they take away from the art. Yeah. Like yeah. They, you know what I mean? Like they, they're the ones that are like, your hair's on fire because somebody needs something from you now. But Well, that's, I think that's the big internal conflict that I have with it is I've, I've always been told if it takes five minutes or less, do it right now. Getting better at the piano yeah. is going to take me more than five minutes. I'm going to need Absolutely. some time. I need right. 30 or, or a lot more. But Yes. Or writing a song. Yes. In some, in some ways, writing a song is the most urgent thing. Right. But because nobody's going to kill you if you don't finish a song today. That's right. You end up doing those other things. I don't know. We need somebody who wants to kill us if we don't finish a song. Yeah, Clearly. we should. We should. <laughs> we should uh, vow to kill each other. Exactly. We can okay. be that person. I'll kill you if you kill me. All right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to get into the business side of things. Some. Um, yeah. Uh, Play nice came out. Yeah. Last year. Yes. And it's been doing very well. Thank you. Um, it was. Number one on the Roots Music Report, the R and B top fifty albums, and then you you mm -hmm. had a couple songs that were up on the yeah the as songs well. are still in that top fifty. You know we were really fortunate because we've had you know out of twelve songs on the record, there have been seven that have been played on the radio, and you know five, four or five with a lot of consistency. Wow! So that was a huge surprise because, you know. The, the songs are all over the map stylistically. Yeah. I think they sound like us, all of them, but right. we've never really had to follow a formula and say, oh, we're, we just do this. You know, nobody's, you know, I've said this before, but when you don't have a record company, nobody's holding your feet to the fire to say, no, you have to do what you did on the last album because people like that. So we do what we like. We hope other people like it. And more importantly, like the lyrics drive everything. The story is the most important thing to me. Yeah. So if it's a folk song, it has that, you know, a soulful folk song feeling or singer-songwriter feeling, we'll just follow it down the road. If it sounds like funk, we'll follow it down that road. Um, so the fact that a diversity of songs got played and that we charted for so many weeks is something that is, I, I still, every day, I'm so blown away by that. We were... 
really the only band in the top 10 on the R&B top 50 chart that were not on a major label. Like, we don't have a label. We I noticed that. Label, you, like. you guys are up there with the Lumineers and, you know, ton, tons crazy. of acts. And that's really cool. It made me feel really good. Yeah. It just, it does say that if you work hard and and you, and the music, you're being true to yourself there, you don't always have to have a machine behind you. Although, I would love that machine behind me. <laughs> right, of course. We all would, but... You know, you always hear about the stories about a band that signs with a label too early and doesn't, you know, takes a bad deal. And it can really be a career wrecker because, you know, if somebody advances you 200 grand and that sounds like a lot of money at the time because you need that money. Well, then they own your rights forever. And then when you run out of that, you have nowhere to go. There's no way to make money off of that ever again. And they may make a ton of money off of it. Yeah. You may spend a lot of money to get there, but... It's a, those are the decisions that I think artists are faced with all the time. You know, when is it good to sign and when do you stay independent? And, you know, we all want help, but there's a price for that help. Yeah, of course. If no, no, no free help. No, there's no free help. Exactly. Just like mama said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, what was your what was your approach when the album was done and you had the artwork and you said, okay, we got to promote this thing so more than just my mom and husband hears it. We got to get it out there. Yeah. What was the process? Did you put together a promotion team? Um, what what was what That's was it. that like? Yeah, thanks for asking that because I've always wanted to share this with other musicians. And I, I have shared it with a few who asked because it is, you know, you have to, the, the first album that we did, I didn't really promote it that much. Yeah. And it didn't really, and this, I went back and listened to it those songs are still incredibly valid. Like if I would have promoted it, it would have done better, but I didn't know what I didn't know. So with this one, I had a spreadsheet that had like about 150 things on it before we released. And we just, I started working through them. Um, everything from like, I designed the album cover. My sister painted it. Wow. I had like one week to get it done. I did the inside, the outside on a little program I have at home. Yeah, I'm like, this has to look like somebody did it. It has to look like money. I'm pulling you know? it. I'm pulling it up right now. <laughs> Not I've seen it, but now I want to see it with that in mind. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it's important. It has to look right, and it has to represent what the album was. And I, that album to me was about the dark side of love, and like the flowers are dark and sometimes wilting, and you know, there's like there's this beautiful side of love, but there's the the lost side too. And I wanted to the album cover to speak to that, the sensuality, the sexiness of the album, but also that it, you know, love has this two sides to it. Um, and then, um, I just started going down the list. We did hire, uh, an, a promoter, a radio promoter. It was, I knew that I couldn't do that myself because, so the radio promoter would say, okay, I can either send out these 800 albums for you, records for you, CDs, or you can do it for yourself and then I'll follow up. And I'm like, oh, I got to save the money. So Jeff Gray would come over to my house and sit there all afternoon while we watched music movies and we would stuff so albums. So this promoter, and this was a national promoter? Mm -hmm, yeah, out of so Nashville. So did, did he give you, uh, he or she give you like a stamp, their stamp or something that you could put on it so you could send it out yourself? Yeah, so they sent us labels that, show, that showed the top four tracks for the FCC tracks that are um, FCC approved, no, you know, foul language or anything. Yeah. And, and we... 
you have to open all those. You take all the wrappers off because you got to make it easy for the DJ. You slap that little sticker on in the front and you put it in an envelope with your wind sheet and send it off. And it takes a lot of time. And Jeff sat there on the floor and did that with me while we watched music movies. And there were a thousand things like that. You know, after we got done with the list of 150 things, there were another 150 things. So you just have to assume that for the first year after your record comes out, you're not going to sleep a lot. Because you only have yeah. this little window, and then nobody cares anymore. You're right, if it's not a new release. That's right. That's right. And so you think that's one year. From the time it comes out, you have about 12 months that you can say it's a big deal. Yeah, and I th- I'd say even more, like three months are critical. Right. And then you're, you know, it, at six months, you're trying to keep things going. So like right now, we released the album at the end of July, so we're doing things in the studio, like uh, Taylor and I just did five songs acoustically that we'll release on video soon. Um, and are these ones that were on the record? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so just, just different versions. Just giving people like a different version, you know, keeping things exciting for us and keeping the record alive while we're working on the next one. Yeah. Because um, it's always that, you know, you want your record to continue to be heard and it's you know what it of is course. it's like it really is a long long list and i think people uh can do it themselves mm-hmm. i think musicians often do this themselves yeah but they may not have that list like i'm a freak when it comes to spreadsheets so everything had a due date i knew if i was passed on a date i felt i fell behind sometimes but i would catch up and then go through the next 20 items and it was just a never it was a full-time thing. job it was a very full-time job yeah yeah yeah, I, um, it's freaky. I make lists. I've got whiteboards in the other room, and I make lists yes. and stuff. And there's always a million things that get left out, and it's always the whole release thing yeah. scares me. It it's really terrifying. Does. It's why we're not doing one this year because we did really we've had three in a row. So I had an EP before I met Taylor that I did right. with a different producer, and then album 2018, album 2019, and I was like, wow, what would it be like just to write some songs? And not have the pressure. The push, yeah. Yeah. Has that and been good so far? No, I think I like pressure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the songs are coming along. We wrote one that I'm really happy with the other day. But the truth is, for me, nothing really happens until my feet are to the fire. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just, like, I don't really get excited about writing the song until... I know Taylor is going to meet with me the next day, and I told him I will have a song or two songs. And then, for whatever reason, all those little ideas that have been kind of gelling, and I've been writing notes, now i got to pull it together. Uh-huh. But I kind of need the pressure. You need the pressure. Yeah. yeah I, I love not yeah. being doing a full album this year, though. That's I love that. Having that time off. And I've got a gun to your head if you don't finish those songs. So. <laughs> That's right. So. I mean, it would be, like, really unfair to you know, bring somebody into a room who's also really busy and not have anything. It yeah. may, I don't bring things, you know, fully gelled. You know, it might be like three verses and a chorus, mm-hmm. but it needs to be formed enough that we've got something to go from. And more and more now, Taylor is writing lyrics with me, which used to not be as much the case. Like I would write everything and then take it to him and then he would compose and arrange it with me. Really, that being more of his part. But he's such a phenomenal songwriter and on the last record, you know, if something wasn't flowing, he would know it and he'd change the words and I'd be like, oh, that's so much better. And um, yeah, so now I think it's more of a cohesive process with 
That's yeah. great. That's great. So you're gonna do. You're gonna take this year, do some writing, and then fans can expect some stuff in 2021. <laughs> and are you gonna be touring and stuff more? I know you're yeah, talking so about that some. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. We were, we've been trying to figure out uh, some tours for the summer and fall, and I think one of the challenges for me is that. I've become accustomed to like a certain quality of life. <laughs> That's just the truth. And I see bands um, living out of their van and going to, you know, cruddy bar to cruddy bar and then coming back kind of almost breaking even. We, you know, you see that but all the time. But not emotionally breaking even. No, but emotionally being way ahead of the game. <laughs> sure. Way ahead. But, uh, but I can't really do that because I have a daughter who deserves my time and you know I've got a life at home so to me the touring has to be much more strategic and that's kind of what I've been working on is yeah like what are the five regions that you know that we really really want to build and take this in a direction that's not really random for us um, and of course like now that We've got a new manager, new management team out of Nashville. So that's are you allowed to say who it is yet? Yeah, it's Old Pine. Old Pine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So they're kind of a young. What's that? How long has that been going on? Is that just oh, it's just this month. It's we just signed with them this month, and so I'm really excited already. They've taken so many things off of my plate that, you know, I'm just used to doing. I actually ended up writing a press release the other day, and I thought, oh. I really shouldn't have written that. I should have just handed that over because that's what they do. Yeah. I don't even know how to hand stuff over yet. That's how new it is. Right. Right. So, <laughs> but they'll be helping with, you know, figuring out the touring piece because that is a piece that I just, it's, you know how, that's really time consuming sure. figuring that out. And yeah. we'll go anywhere if it makes sense. And it's just, um, and you, you know, those secondary markets are really important. No, yeah. you know, you got to go to Chicago, but you've also, you want to go to the smaller markets on the way that are hungry for music Yeah, where, you know, Chicago, you need to be there because that's where a big audience is, but they're not hungry for music. Right. You know, right. Omaha isn't even hungry for music. It's those little towns in between. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah, we're well, learning. No, that's, it's, you're doing a lot of great things and, and I look forward to seeing what happens next what's the big what's the big goal if you had to sit back and think where would I like to be where do I think is realistic in my head where could I be in five years and and if I do my job and continue to work my ass off this is where I'll be well thanks for mentioning the work your ass off part because I just so want people to understand how hard like you work as a musician you know it really is it's all consuming, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and nobody, it doesn't matter how good a singer is or a band is, they don't go anywhere without just being pretty much obsessed. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. So where I've never really been great at figuring out where we're going to be. We talk about it as a band regularly, um, but I never would have thought this would have happened in five years. It yeah. just is kind of crazy, but I always try to have a vision that's big and hairy and scary enough that it interests me because the one thing I do believe is that if we shoot too low, it's just not very exciting. Yeah. So I try to see myself on big stages, 
where people are taking in the music and getting the message and I'm connecting with them like on like filling people's souls on a big bigger level and so sometimes I you know I think I may overshoot the the capacity I may hit the Peter principle at some point and you know it I might not be able to do that but I always yeah. think ridiculously big like I always see myself headlining all these festivals and stuff it may never happen but you have to like you have to see it yes yeah what's what's the festival you would like to headline most if if somebody came down and said you're going to die next summer, but you can play any one festival you want this year. <laughs> what would it be? Wow. Um, what am I going to die of? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not skip the important <laughs> questions. Um, no, I think I would, well, I mean, I'd love to play blues from the top in Winter Park because that's in our backyard. Uh-huh. It's such a great blues festival. Um, there are... Gosh, you know, it sounds kind of funny, but I'd like to play a blues cruise, mm-hmm. a really good one, because I think it would be fun. We're not a blues band, but a lot of those bands aren't either. We've got like the soulful blues thing going. Yeah. Um, the big Chicago blues festival. Um, trying to think of what else. Um, boy, there are. Oh, I'm, I'm going blank. It would be great to do some big festivals in Omaha because that's where I'm from. Yeah. I mean, that's like my family and it would be so exciting for them and for me to go back home. Um, yeah, I think for us, because we're kind of genre free in some ways, there are probably a lot of festivals that we would fit into that I haven't thought of. Yeah. So... It's being kind of vetted right now, and and we're looking through. I'm not, but the management company is looking through what our options are and which things make sense. And I don't know. I'm I'm probably one of the more unrealistic people in terms of just. I kind of live in this fantasy world. Yeah. Like, I don't know how anything happens. I will work my butt off. Like, what is whatever is right in front of me, I'll work and work and work. But if you ask me, like, the one year, the three year, and the five year, a lot of times I can only see this giant thing that I Maybe won. that's a good thing. Maybe so. Maybe. You know? Maybe. It keeps, keeps focus. Yeah. It keeps focus on the day-to-day. And, yeah. Um, I want the music to always be, like, I want to become a better and better songwriter. I want the music to say things that really move people um, that, you know, I think, you know, some of my favorite songs on the album are the things that didn't get played on the radio because they were not radio songs. They're not like upbeat. Yeah. Like the song, The Most Beautiful from Play Nice, I think that song came in as a bolt from the blue. That yeah. song had to be written. And I, that song, I don't think has gotten any radio play because it's just this really melodic pretty song yeah it's not going to rock people out of their seats right but it's but it's if if people buy the record or stream the record or do whatever they do with the record yeah. uh, they'll appreciate those ones i hope so right yeah. that you maybe you got the big one to draw them in on the radio but then yeah yeah the rockers always draw me into but yeah you know when i think about the albums that i listen to it's usually the those you know 
the gems in the songwriting, the lyric, the lyrics are what get me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I want to thank you very, very much for coming and hanging out with me this morning. Thank you for having and, me. And doing the podcast. And this will be up in, in just a couple days. Mm. And This is so cool, yeah. hanging out with you and talking. I, I love, know, I love I know. what you're doing. I just think it's such a wonderful, it's, I've, wonderful idea. I've had such a blast with it, just getting to hang out yeah. with, with people. So. Yeah. Like, when else are we going to meet? Yeah. That's the thing. We're all gigging at the same time. But now so. we know each other so much better just from we the last do. hour, right? So it's, you know. Exactly. Always building it. community, which is yeah. a good thing, I think. It is. <laughs> it really is. It's what it's all about. We're all here doing this because we love people. Yep. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, Cass. Thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and and your knowledge and your stories. It was awesome. I want to say thanks to our other sponsor. I mentioned PQ Mastering, but I want to thank Narrator RF. Narrator RF offers simple and affordable licensing on exceptional music for sync. So if you need music for something like your podcast and you need a theme song, you can go to narratorrf.com and type in um, Celtic dance music because you have a Celtic dance podcast for some reason. And a list of stuff will pop up that fits that need. And you can, for a very affordable price, use that, purchase that music and use it for your podcast or whatever. You could do this for anything. But just one example, narratorrf.com. If you're interested in sponsoring Middle Class Rock Star, or Star, excuse me, or you have any questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, or death threats, please direct those to middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. We're going to end today's episode by playing a song off of Cass's release called Doesn't Make Sense. Please enjoy. Please go check out her music. Um, and please, please tune in next time. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, rate, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the most helpful thing in the world. Um, and I and I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
to forget Waking up with regrets I thought that state was over But now I need a shoulder To cry, 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 cry Singing this foolish song Not easily misled. Don't gamble, play around. Always been too proud. So Mm-hmm.